Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Good, good to see y'all. Got a nice week. If you want, we'll stand up and we'll get this thing going. Father, we're here for you this morning. Uh, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the sunshine. Uh, we praise you for the rain we got last week. We needed that. There's so much to be thankful for, and it's so easy to lose sight of that. So I pray that as we all kind of refresh and praise you and hear your word this morning, God, that we carry that through the rest of the week. We pray for us as we hear your word. We pray for Leonard as he brings your word to us, um, for clarity of thought in what you've put on him and for open minds and hearts for us to hear what you're saying. We pray for all the lives, young and old, um, in this place today, that all the seeds, everything you've put in us, we faithfully tend it to. Um, we just give this time to you, God. We thank you so much for the ability to come to this place and be together in your name this morning. So I pray that as we hear your word today, God, that you're searching us, that we're looking through ourselves too and seeing what we need to weed out to be better for you. Amen. 
search my heart and search my soul. There's nothing else that I want more. Shine your light and show your face.
be seated because you're dismissed. Okay, Leonard, you can come up. We'll let you. All right, can you guys hear me okay? Kind of forgot my headset this morning. I got distracted, but um, it was uh, it was an honest distraction. Saw baby on the way in. I was heading up. The second time that's happened, you guys. I'm not blaming you, but um, uh, every time I see you guys and I see that baby, I just I don't know. I I get excited for you guys. One of these days, I'll have my own grandkids. Maybe that'd be great. Um, but anyway, uh, it's good to see everybody. Glad uh, everybody's. Uh, Sporting um, semi-tan, you guys are getting out, aren't you, and enjoying the weather, and hopefully, um, you know, just that sense of well-being that we get from being in God's creation when it's just in full bloom, uh, but hopefully, as we gather and we think about our lives in relation to the Lord, uh, we can cultivate that together as well. Uh, so, I just want to start off, first of all, by finding out if there is anything that you have on your heart or your mind that you are just bursting uh, to, to share a thing of praise, something that you've been blessed with, something that's happened, anything. John, I know your arm is just like, I'm waiting. All right, John, you got some good news. I, I'd like for you to share. Praise the Lord. Yeah. That is, that is such good news. I mean, we, we were blown away when we got the message from Twyla. Yeah. So anyway, just ignore the guy behind me. Um, it's my personal valet for two seconds. All right. So I don't want to. I don't want to take away from what we just talked about. That pig is just. I don't know. That's worth savoring for a minute or ten. So we are grateful for that. What's that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so, and that gives us all the more reason to be praying for one another because I, I do think that God definitely uh, looks to us to, in whatever way, mysteriously, he does it, activate his, uh, his, uh, his strength and his healing in the lives of our people. And uh, when we don't pray, it's like God says, I, I want to be engaged with you in this, but if you're indifferent to it, then that's the level of engagement I have, and it's not that God doesn't, but he's always asking us to do the work, and then he does it through us. So a lot more to say about prayer, but uh, I want to use that as a catalyst for you guys uh, to, to pray for whatever it is that is on your heart and your mind, to celebrate it on the other side of it like we've just done, and give God uh, the, the honor whom that he's due. So um, anything else you've brought into the room that uh, we can lift up to the Lord. Diane? Okay. 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 All right, just so everybody knows, so we're talking about Gail Hill, who we've been praying for for quite some time, and, and she's really going through a dark valley right now, so please keep her lifted up. Uh, it's been a long struggle for her, 
and uh, she needs our prayers. Any, anyone else have anything? Okay, uh, just for a friendly reminder, we have on our outlines this little thing that looks like almost like a fingerprint, but uh, if you're not familiar with it, you just scan your phone on it, and it'll link you up to a website that will take any information that you want us to be praying for. So we do live in the age of tech, and this is something that speaks to a lot of people, and other people are like, what if you have a flip phone? Um, just see me after church or someone that looks like they know what they're doing, and uh, we will pray for you. But that's really for your prayer concerns. Just one more way that we can hopefully create a path for you to find, um, find, find the, the prayer that uh, is on your heart to be in the hearts of uh, uh, your brothers and sisters here. All right, well, just one mention. We got a pool party coming up in about a week. And we're going to meet at Salem Municipal Pool. Is that, is that the name of it? What's the name of the pool? Centennial. I knew, I knew you would know. Um, Centennial Pool. And it's going to be at 7 o'clock um, from 7 to 9. Everybody bring your favorite swimming costume and just enjoy the moment. 8 to 10. I stand corrected. Okay. Okay, so 7 to 9 if you're from Illinois, 8 to 10 if you're from Ohio. Okay. All right. Well, let's just take that and us before the Lord. Would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, we are grateful that as we gather, uh, it is only by your grace that we can even approach you. And we thank you that you freely give that, that there is no prior set of conditions or things that we have to have in place before we can come to you, except for a heart that says, uh, Lord, I am helpless without you. Lord, I am not sufficient for the world that you find me in, and Lord, we are dependent upon you. And recognizing that, Lord Jesus, we are grateful that when we come into a relationship with you and we pray and we ask for the needs of others who we lift up to you to be met through your healing power. We, we, we celebrate things like um, what, we've, what we've experienced today. Um, many of us have been praying for Peg, Lord, and we're thankful that she had such a positive report. But we also know there's a journey ahead of healing, and we pray that you would just continue to be with her and John in the course of that until uh, she finds the health that uh, she longs for. We pray, Father, for uh, the needs that are brought into the room that are unmentioned, that are heavy on hearts. And I know everyone here has something that they're struggling with. And if they're not, Lord, we know that there's no shortage of things that we approach on, on, on the path that uh, draw us to depend on you to see us through it. So help us to keep that in mind and to trust whatever burden we have today before you and with you. That you're more than able, that with us things are impossible, but with you all things are possible. And we pray, Father, for um, Gail Hill especially as she's going through this trial that is so overwhelming and so discouraging. I pray that you would replace that sense of despair with that quality of hope that can only be found through your spirit. I pray, Father, that you would just encourage her in her being, that you are there and you are holding her hand through this. 
And I just ask, Father, that as a church, as we move into a season where we're thinking about the fall and all of the things that happen in, in, in a gathering of people that pertain especially to children, we're so grateful for, for Amy and her family and for all the ways that um, you have uh, linked us together so that we can collaborate in your kingdom work. And Father, it's just clearly an imprint of, of your hand being at work, orchestrating, choreographing the processes in ways that uh, are way beyond our comprehension. So we thank you for her, for the very charitable posture that everyone has had towards her and her family. And I just ask, Father, that you lead us into a season where we can begin to work together as a church, nesting within that our kids and our families, and just pray, Father, that you give us the grace that we need to build up your people in the way that you desire. And Father, we thank you that you've given us a place in this community where we can look out and we can see all the opportunities that you've placed in front of us, the needs that are there. And we ask that you give us eyes to recognize the significance of what you lay before us. And we pray that you not only do that, but give us the wherewithal to be able to uh, attend to whatever needs that confront us and whatever needs that the community um, is struggling with. And we thank you, Father, for helping us in the past to do those very things, and we just want to expand on that if, if we can. We trust you, Father, not only for the mission and purpose and for the way that you orchestrate and choreograph things, but we trust you just in our own personal needs as we bring them before you as well. So help us to hear your voice where we need to be, um, uh, we need to be right-sized in our humanity or where we need to be um, brought into a, a greater place of, of alignment with you and your heart. Help us, Lord, if we are struggling to know that you are there to come alongside and source us for every need that we have. Lord, help us to be your people that the world needs so desperately. And Father, as we lift all of these things up to you, we want to um, just align our hearts and our minds and be intentional about the prayer that you, Lord Jesus, taught your disciples. So would you pray with me now the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you or your phones or any other device that you might use, uh, we are going to be looking today at uh, Luke chapter 18. And we're going to finish out the chapter by exploring verses 31 and following. And that, as we do that, I just want to remind you that we are, we are on, a, on a road here that uh, clearly, as Luke is telling the story of Jesus, he's giving us snapshots of what it looks like along the way to the destination. And um, it reminds me of that famous route uh, that people uh, just um, almost immortalized in the American psyche before the interstate highway system, Route 66. Anybody ever been on Route 66? 
okay? Well, I know that you can still travel on parts of it, and other parts of it are completely gone, and then there are other parts of it that are actually just pieces of cement with lots of brush growing out of it and, and things like that. Uh, and there are along the way the reminders of, a, of another period. There are archaeological probably things there where there's, um, you know, a, a one-room jail in one town, and a, they're going to one-up it in the next town by having a two-room jail. And then they've got these different um, types of gas stations with peculiar architecture that were really fit for the moment of um, the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. And as you travel down that road, there's always these features that uh, define it, whether it's a huge dinosaur that says, hey, come here and get, uh, get, your, get your dino juice for your car. Um, or there are just... Uh, structures where you have very tall people looking like lumberjacks saying we have pancakes for you and very iconic images that once you see them you, you never forget them and that really was the idea it wanted it, it, there was a lot happening on that road between new york and los angeles that occurred in that um, roughly 30 year span and what people did along the way was they carried their hopes and their dreams from one part of the country to another part, trusting that on the end of the destination, they would find a new way of life. And Luke wasn't aware of Route 66. He wasn't even aware that there would be 66 books in the Bible. But one thing that he did know was that there is a path clearly defined by Jesus. And he took us from place to place to show us along the way key features that define what he is all about. And we're going to look at a couple of things today that are some features that stand out. And, and as we do that, maybe you've seen them, maybe you haven't. And I, I trust that hopefully at the end of this message, if God has something for you to see, that he will open up your heart and you'll be able to grasp what it is that he has for your life. And it may be just him beckoning to, uh, to him a relationship that you've never experienced before. It may be him saying, I'm calling you into serving. And I know last week I had some people say, yeah, I felt like this is what I need to be doing now. And as we're thinking about the fall, serving is something that's heavy on our minds. And for those of us who've been doing that for a while, we know that serving is the pathway for God's grace to flow and the joy that comes out of that. And we're really excited about that. And God may be speaking to you about doing something a little bit beyond your comfort zone. Well, Jesus is definitely taking people out of their comfort zone as he's leading them along this path. And the people that are getting beat up pretty good, actually, are, are the 12. But he loves them so much that he is patient with them. He is trusting them to something sacred. But along the way... He lets them know he loves them too much to stay where they are, and he wants them to grasp a wider vision of what he is all about. And we're going to look at the first part of this section by something that just he's, he's told them six times already in Luke. This is going to happen. And six times, they did not see it. They did not understand it. They didn't comprehend it. 
But here we are, we're on the road to Jericho, which is about, I don't know, seven miles north of Jerusalem. He's going to meet his fate there. And as he's coming into the city, he goes to the 12, and there's crowds in the backdrop, and he specifically says to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. Now, if I were to have a conversation with any of you guys about something like that, you might be saying, well, who are you talking about? And then you might be saying, that is extreme to the hilt. And he's using the third person because he's wanting them to see that this isn't about him personally, but this is about his role and his responsibility in the season that God has given him to be the voice for God. And oftentimes, when you read something and you try to understand it, have you ever had the experience of you read it, but then you know a little bit more about it than what you're reading? And that's called reading between the lines. And as believers, we are actually called to read between the lines a lot. We're called to understand what is in front of us, even though the lines may be telling us something different. And Jesus is looking at the disciples, and he's saying, I've been with you for three years. I've been trying to show you exactly why I'm here, and yet you're just being woodenly literal about this, not really comprehending or understanding. Now, I'm not going to be too hard on the disciples because I can, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm, I've had my own epic moments of not comprehending or understanding. I was working on a, the hot tub motor yesterday. I'm putting a new pump on it. And I had this assumption about, hey, I, I can understand this. I, we've had this one, and I've had to work on it because I don't want to pay anybody. And then my neighbor says, can you work on mine? And i got to work on theirs now. And I'm like, I don't, this is not my job. But I'm thinking, I understand these, and I went to put this thing together. And I spent five hours trying to put something together that I didn't understand because I thought I had an idea about how it was supposed to work. And I finally just said to Mandy, she says, what have you been doing all day? And I said, you wouldn't understand. And she's like, huh? I said, well, I didn't understand either. Nothing got accomplished. That went well. But um, sidebar, as, uh, as you're looking at your assumptions about the world around you, a lot of times what we think we see, we're not really seeing very clearly at all. And being graphically reminded by this, because this is what's going on here in this text, um, I remember reading a story about this tribe in Africa, Namibia, Africa, which is on the, on the uh, eastern coast. And these tribals who just live off the land, and they have really no connection with modern society like, like we do. They're very rural and very pastoral. And, you know, they hunt, and they, and they basically, you know, graze cows and things like that. And they're called the Himba. 
And I've got a picture of them. I'll just show you. Uh, this is what a Himba tribesman looks like in Namibia. And the interesting thing about these guys is that um, they can't see the color blue. They don't have a word for the color blue. To their mind, blue doesn't even exist. And they tested this. Uh, a study came out in 2006 that basically was fascinated by the fact that these guys really don't see blue. And so they showed these pictures, and I'll show you one uh, that looked like this. They said, uh, can you please point out the blue one? And they're like, we, we can't see it. Now, they got a lot of words for green more than we do, but they said, we don't see blue up there. And they're like, and they're like it's right there. And they didn't just take one person. They took dozens of tribesmen. They said, show us the one that's different. And each of them said, they are all the same. Can you believe it? Now, they were shown another picture, and they were, they were asked, show us the one, and this slide may not show it very well, but show us the block that's different. Can anybody see it? Anybody want to guess? All right. It's actually this one. Next slide, please. The upper right-hand corner is just a little bit wider. And to a person, immediately when they were shown that, they all said, oh, that one's different. Oh, easy, that one's different. But based on your responses, I would say there isn't a single person in this room that's from the Himba tribe. Not a one. Not a one. So I can just check that off the box and know that at least we're not that, but maybe we'd be better off. Who knows? But when they look at something, their eyes are tuned to see things a certain way. And we don't realize just how much we see things only a certain way. And what Jesus recognizes clearly is that his disciples, even though they are what you would call children of God, children of Abraham, they live through all the traditions, all the different rituals, and all of the different celebrations, but yet they had no idea why he came. They really could not wrap their minds around the fact that he had this mission. And Jesus is going through this whole journey with them on this path with this, this understanding, we're going to Jerusalem so that my mission can be completed. And the whole time, they're scratching their heads saying, we're not really sure what that means. All we know is along the way, we see Jesus doing stuff and saying stuff that we've never seen before. Matter of fact, behind the 12, as they're being told by Jesus what's going to happen in Jerusalem, those guys, they're saying, Jesus, we love what you're doing. It's a breath of fresh air. If religion were like this, we would say yes. But for a lot of reasons, the throne room of God and where I'm at in my state, whatever it is, broken or functional or doing okay, in that space were the religious leaders and everything that they said basically said to them, 
you got to do these 20 things if you want to get past us. And so a lot of people just felt like I will never probably be the type of person that I need to be because I don't have access to God in the way that I need to have access to God. In heaven, before Jesus came, there was a big question. And we've raised this question before, and that is, what does the world need now? And in heaven, they were looking at a different landscape with a different set of players and dynamics, but essentially, the problem was the same. The world needed God to show up in a way that said, I'm accessible, I'm approachable, I'm here for you. I am wanting desperately to connect with you that when I start to see indications of you turning towards me, I just get all getting excited, kind of like the old man who saw his son coming way off in the, just the distance that was prodigal, that God. Now, you consider that gap that is between God and the people that are longing to connect with him and God longing to connect back to them, but the recognition that there are people who are supposed to be representing God getting in the way. And when we ask the question, what does the world need now? You know what I think the world needs? Is a group of people that take God seriously. But what does that look like? I think if the watching world looks at a group of people who are living out their faith day in and day out, I think things will change. And we're in a moment where whatever we thought would do the changing, political, economic, whatever, very disappointing. Paul said Christ in you is the hope of the world. He's talking about us together as a church. Things are not the same. And Jesus wants us to be those people that transform the world. And he starts with himself. And then what he longs to do to the 12 as he's taking them and he's looking at them in the face like we, like we, like we might, you know, a, a, a child or something or when we're trying to really be heard. He's saying what the world needs is for God to be crucified on a cross, which doesn't make any sense to you or the world. But there are deep reasons why this is important. And he doesn't explain what those deep reasons are. And at times we hit on them, but perhaps you're not even thinking, I don't really understand why. And while not wanting to go deeply into that, when he says what he says, there's a lot of things that go on whenever it happens. The curse of all creation is lifted because it's placed on Jesus the burden of living under the authority of the evil one is removed because that authority is broken. 
because the evil one is actually complicit. He doesn't like to do things. He likes to get you to do things. But he got caught up in this one enough that the accuser is now guilty. And what was stolen, Jesus reclaimed. And so Jesus has this understanding, I know what the world needs, and it is deeply spiritual. But maybe you've thought for a minute, I think if I could only get this right in my life, if I could only do that, if I could only get educated in this or equipped in that, or if I could change this in my life, or if my bank account had more money, or if I could relationally get into this place, then I'd be good. And what Jesus is telling them and us and everyone who will listen is that you'll be good when you reconnect to the source of your humanity, to the source of your createdness when you reconnect with the creator. But you guys remember that gap, don't you? And that gap is my concern, our concern, their concern, ultimately Jesus' concern. Because what Jesus is longing to do is reproduce his own character in you and I, starting with them. And it's a, it's a long, patient slog. Just like trying to drive a car from the 30s to Los Angeles, California from New York. You ever seen a car from the 30s? Anybody ridden in a car from the 30s? Oh, you guys are telling your age. Oh, you did it at like an expo or something. Would you drive a car? Would you drive that car from New York to Los Angeles? Maybe I had to. Well, Jesus is looking at us as kind of like that car, and he's saying, it's going to need more than an upgrade. It's going to need a transformation if that kind of thing's going to happen. But there's that dilemma again. He sees a gap between where we are and where we need to be. And he sees a gap between God and people who are longing for him and the people that are getting in the way. And the last thing that he wants is for his people to get in the way. And that's really our, our burden. Um, as Jesus is looking at us, he's saying, I want God to be inside of you. And this side of the cross, we have the Holy Spirit as a gift and as a means by which we can be enabled by him. But when God goes to work inside of us, he starts off by removing some things that don't need to be there anymore. We kind of call that classically repentance, but really it's just his way of saying, I'm going to name some things, probably a few at a time. I'm going to call them out, not to pile on, but so much as to say, let's replace that with the better thing so that you can become who you need to become or you are destined to become. And he wants to rewire some things that have been disconnected. As he looks at us in God's image, he says, but yeah, we are so disconnected on so many levels from what that would even mean. As he looks at our lives and he says, you prioritize a lot of things. And we just talked about a rich young ruler of the synagogue who said, I love being a religious leader and I love being wealthy and God is getting in the way of that. And then when we start to follow Jesus, he starts to go to work. Getting baptized is wonderful because it does set you free 
from the dominion of the evil one. It sets you free to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, as we read in Scripture in Acts 2. But it also sets you free to begin the journey. And if anybody tells you the Christian faith is about getting saved and you're good, they're very misguided and probably getting in the way of what God has got in mind for the rest of the road. And so in your life, he's saying, we got to take some things away so we can put some better things there. He's saying, we got to rewire some things and we got to reprioritize some things. And if you've ever followed Jesus for any period of time, you know he goes to work in your life in that way if you're paying attention. But this is getting back to the problem. The religious establishment wasn't paying attention. Jesus said six times, hey, it's going to happen in Jerusalem. They weren't really paying attention. So the question is, how do you get them to see how do we see that gap between where we are and where God wants us to be? Well, there's another story here that I think will clarify that as, um, as we round the corner here. So after he gets done telling the disciples who the scripture tells us, which I didn't include, uh, they understood none of these things in verse 34. This saying was hidden from them, and they had no idea what he was talking about. You'd think after three years, they would start to kind of put some pieces together. But I can be honest with you. I've been tracking with the Lord for, I don't know, it's going on doing a math here. Long time. It's about as good as I do math. Um, very long time. Decades, decades. And the upshot of that is I recognize that he is constantly pushing in to me, to the people around me, to be more like Jesus. And you can't ignore that. But he's also showing us a side of himself that it took me a long time to trust. But he really is for us. He is for us more than you would ever know. He's not there just saying, okay, the books don't match up. And so you're in hell today, but tomorrow maybe you'll be in heaven. And then, you know, when the books don't line, you'll be back in hell again. And some people go into that sort of seesawing into their faith, and eventually they say, i got to deconstruct the whole thing. But there are others who say love is the deeper motivation here, and it's going to drive God to be patient with us to the very end, whatever that would mean for each of us. All of that <clears throat> to say on the road, he's looking at the 12, he's looking at you and I, and he's saying, where are the gaps? Where are you getting in the way? Maybe it's not trusting. Maybe it's not believing. Maybe it's not hoping. Maybe it's allowing the things in your life, the things of the world, despair, uncertainty, fear, worry, all the stuff that the news cycle is conditioning you to Embrace. Jesus is saying, no. I came to show you a side of God that, well, the religious people aren't telling you about. There was a, a story in the, uh, there was a study done about the New York Times. Well, actually, it was, it was a story written by 
a, a former um, reporter, and it was one of the most read articles from the New York Times. It came out about 15 years ago. And essentially, the writer said, I, I've been told as a journalist that my responsibility is to report the news, to help people to see clearly what is happening in the world around them. That's my training. What I discovered is the New York Times is such a powerful institution that whenever I would write, even though I was saying what I was seeing and trying to make that so that everyone could be aware, I was told I couldn't. I was told that I needed to pull back or I needed to find something else to write about. And there are a lot of people who were frustrated with that response and eventually a lot of people said that has kind of defined why I'm distrustful of media and in Jesus's day people were distrustful of religious people because they were just picking and choosing what they wanted and Jesus is saying it's all or nothing it's all or nothing well, let's get back to the gap for just a second. Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and along the way, on the path, everyone is actually traveling, not only as his entourage, but their, their other purpose is Passover is about to get underway. And so some are coming as attendants to Jesus, and others are coming because it is the annual ritual of going to Jerusalem and celebrating the Passover according to the tradition. And there's a guy who's positioned himself like a parade route saying, hopefully, hopefully, on this day and days like it, I can earn as much money as I possibly can to get me through the year. And so he would station himself so that he could receive um, whatever alms or whatever charitable gestures would be offered, and then he could go home. And so there he was, and Jesus is walking by with his entourage. And so as they knew, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by. He inquired what this meant, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And then he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to shut up. But he cried even in a more shrill voice. I'm paraphrasing what you're reading. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? How can I help you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now, for the next couple of minutes, I just want to show this as a point of contrast to what we we just read a minute ago. 
Here you have 12 people that have followed Jesus for three years. They've been told six times that Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and that he's going to die and that his mission will be fulfilled whenever he rises from the dead. And as they are taking that information, they're saying, we're going to put that over here. We don't really need that. And the idea is that as the Messiah, he's going to come in and he's going to show a version of what the kingdom looks like that's unlike even David's reign. It's better at deeper, at the deepest levels possible. He's not just going to reign over Jerusalem and the territory of God's people. He's going to reign the whole world when he defeats his biggest enemy. And then he defeats the enemy within us that was our own of our own doing. It's that profound. And the disciples for three years did not get it, but there's one guy who is blind, and the crowds are getting in the way, and he can't see him, but for reasons that I can only guess, he understands. And maybe it's because he's been so not caught up in the visual. Not so caught up in the drama, but he's just been listening. And when they said Jesus of Nazareth, he connected the dots from what he heard in the synagogue, preached by the prophets, prophesied, promised through Scripture from Moses onward. It was a light bulb moment for him. He saw it, and he knew this was the son of David. But who was getting in the way? In this case, the crowds. Next week, there's going to be another guy that's in Jericho. He can't see either because of the crowds. And he has to climb a tree. So there's your little teaser. But the point is, there are things always getting in the way of people connecting with Jesus. And that theme should be perennial. And it should be a reminder to you and I that we can't get in the way. But rather, we should be the ones who are linking the two. And Jesus is hoping that the disciples will get it. That that dot that he's been saying is blue the whole time will no longer be seen as green. Well, there's a story in Luke, and I can't help but go there. It's at the other side of what happens in Jerusalem. And on the other side of it, everybody is just depressed. And everybody is thinking, all that we trusted, all the eggs we put in that basket, wasted. You guys are heading back home, about seven miles the other way to Emmaus. And um, Jesus comes alongside them and says, why are you guys so, so depressed? They say, well, don't you know? Have you not heard? Our guy went to Jerusalem, and they destroyed him. They arrested him. They beat him. They mocked him, they spit on him, and he died. And maybe they heard him say it. And maybe it was like, kind of like he said. And maybe you've heard that story time and time again. But what happened is interesting here because Jesus said, let me just explain from Moses all the way to the moment. What I see in the Bible, it's not just a bunch of pick and choose, I like this verse that makes me feel good, or that one kind of, you know, puts me in my place, but rather there's a story here that's a longer path, 
And we're at this place in the story. And so they invited him to his house, and then it says when they broke bread. Their eyes were open. It was like it just clicked. Some people say, you know, I could be up here bumping my gums for hours trying to convince you. We're like, no, no, please don't. I won't. But, but the truth is, there is something about direct experience that sets the conditions for us to see. You ever had that happen? You're like, I got a view about this, but then you go and you experience it, then you're like, man, that's nothing like I thought it was. And I think we could name countless stories. Or maybe you had a view of people or ideas, philosophies, and you're like, this works. But then you have a direct experience, and you're like, oh, now I see it. I didn't see it before, but now I see it. And the Apostle Paul, even of all the most brilliant people that we find in the Bible, he had the capacity to connect those dots intellectually. But it wasn't until Jesus showed up in that direct experience that he got it. And one thing I know is when we pray for one another, I'm praying that whether you're going through a cancer uh, dilemma, whether you're going through some personal struggle, maybe you've had a tragedy, I am praying, we are praying in our minds to the Lord, in our hearts, we're trusting that in the course of this pain, you'll see that it gets your attention. Most of the time, we're just sort of distracted by everything. But the blind guy had the blessing of no distractions, and he saw it clearly. But he also had some deep pain because he was shut out of everything, including the temple. That's why they tried to run him off like he was some kind of stray dog. And that's what I like about this story. There's a guy who says, I'd love to see the Messiah, but I never will. I'd love to go to the temple, but I'm not allowed. I'd love to go to the city, but I can't even do that. And when Jesus is walking by, I can't even really take him in because everybody's in the way. My question for us as a church, is there any way that we get in the way of God's purpose and mission? And it is a perennial question from the leadership all the way down to just everybody. But then there's another question that's very personal. And that is, what is in your life that is getting in the way of you coming to him? Because on his end, he said, I've opened the way. I'm accessible 24-7. I'm a prayer away. I'm a church away. I am the people of God away. And I don't know what God is doing in your heart, 
but there's always something that he's working on. He loves us too much to keep us there. And he loves us too much to exclude him, to, to, for him to exclude you from his family. He died for all of us. Well, we're getting ready to move into communion. And if you have your cups with you, please uh, grab them. And we're going to just take a minute. And I don't know if God's going to open any eyes like Jesus did when the two on the road to Emmaus, one of them's name's Cleopas, I don't know the other one's name. When they took communion, it was like that experience of remembering the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood. That experience enables you to recapture the substance of what he's done for you. And where the cup and the loaf break down, the Holy Spirit works to show us the significance of why these things matter. So every week we gather, it is a meal that is structured as a covenant, it's a covenant meal. Everyone's welcome to the table, but it's also a meal that reminds us of the significance of why we're having to participate in it in the first place. It's a meal that tells us that our sins are forgiven, no matter what they are. It's a meal that tells us Jesus took it all, changed it all, remade it all. And as we drink it and eat it, we're actually bringing him in. Not necessarily literally, but there's something mysterious that happens. And then we ask, Lord, how am I getting in the way? And maybe the next question is, what does your world need me to do? What does your church need me to do? What does this community need me to do? A lot going on in this meal. And I think that's probably plenty for now. So would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, we are concluding this time thankful for your word that redefines our lives in ways that we can't even begin to catalog. We thank you for drawing us into community here because we know that our direct experience with each other has a profound effect on our understanding of what our faith means. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a means by which we can get rid of the things that get in the way through a bloodstained cross that takes our sins. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a hope with an empty tomb that describes something even beyond this life that says it is remade, renewed, reclaimed, redeemed. And so, Lord, we thank you for the loaf and the cup that we receive, the covenant it creates, and the life together that we have with you at the center. Bless this loaf and the cup as we take it in Jesus' name. Amen.
So feel free to stand when you're ready.
take this with us as we leave this building, that it doesn't stay here, it doesn't just stay here, but how this can be your light in our communities and in the circles you've given us all to show your love to everybody that we possibly can. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you so much for this moment, God. Amen. Y'all have a nice week.